If you would, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1. I appreciate the uh, thoughts and prayers over the last couple weeks. It's been a roller coaster. I was telling Ben earlier that I um, was feeling pretty good this morning and then and had a decent day yesterday. For whatever reason, in the last couple hours, just uh, feel iffy. So I don't know what's going on. Um, ultimately, I do know that the Lord tends to bring us to a weak point so that He can prove His power is, at the end of the day, what brings the blessing. So um, I guess you could say these are good conditions for the Lord to work. <laughs> so if, go ahead and uh, turn to First Peter if you're not already there. And we're going to go ahead and read... We'll read 22 through 2-3, and we'll do a short review and then get into our main text. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow unto salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So let's pray. Well, Father, we pray that you would do what you have done for thousands of years, that you would take your word and work in us who believe. Lord, we want to be people who bear more fruit for your glory. We want to be people who are more confident in your scriptures, more confident in the gospel, more confident in who we are in Christ. We want to see this world like you see it. We want to have your priorities in all things, and that's why you've given us your word. You've given it to us to grow unto salvation. So Lord, through your word this morning, Lord, help us grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... <clears throat> Today, I am going to probably focus in on 24 and 25, and then next time we're together, we'll start to get into chapter 2. So let's do a quick review uh, before we get into the main text. So last time we were together, we looked at this issue of loving one another, which is Peter's central command here in verse 22. Fervently love one another from the heart. Peter wants these churches in Asia to understand that love is this non-negotiable principle that always has to be operative in the church. Um, this is, if you're going to talk about the mark of a healthy church, it is love, and it's fervent love. It's love that lasts. It's love that, that endures. It's fervent love. And so this is Peter's main command. And we observe that that command is supported and made possible by the fact that we have been born again. He says, love one another because you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. So we talked about the fact that this new birth is is the main support here that Peter's talking about as to why we can love one another. We're not who we once were. We have new natures now. Uh, the tyranny of hatred has been broken in our lives, and now we can actually be free to love one another. We saw that the new birth 
is vital. It's vital for entrance into the kingdom, as Jesus said. Without it, no man will enter or see the kingdom. We saw that it was a mysterious but sovereign and supernatural work of the Spirit. And we saw that it was a work that inevitably leads to real change and fruit bearing by that same Spirit that has come to indwell us. And in Peter's flow of thought here, the Spirit that's brought us new birth has, has, as I said, he assumes that this new birth has actually made an impact, so much so that we now can love one another. I think we downplay the new birth uh, too much. Um, and I think we, perhaps, we, we elevate our ongoing struggle with sin in a way that would lead people to think that we have no power. And the new birth brings power. The new birth does bring the Spirit of God that breaks the power of hatred in our lives. We, we can't forget that. That is, what in, that is what is in Peter's mind here. Certainly we will never get away from those lusts of the flesh that wage war against us, but we're not who we were. If you're in Christ, you're born again. You're a child of God. You can love now. Then we looked at the means by which God, about, God brought about this new birth, which was the Word of God. Peter introduces this, this idea here in verse 23. You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. Talking about the Word of God. And in particular, Peter says that it is this Word that brought forth this new birth. This is the means by which God brought these people to new life. And I think primary here in Peter's mind is the preaching of the gospel. He, goes, he says that at the end of verse 25. This is the word which was preached to you. What we learn is that God's word in the gospel is life-giving. That's what the gospel is. It's, it's that which brings about salvation in the ones who believe. It's God's word. And if you know your Bible, you know the word of God is presented as that which gives life. And brings things into existence that did not exist. We see this from the early pages of the Bible, right? Early pages of the Bible, what happens to bring about mountains and trees and, 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 and clouds and rain and everything else? What is it? Well, it's the Word of God, right? It's the Word of God that creates life. And Peter says, this is the same Word as that which has created life in you. So why do we preach the Gospel to people? Why are we here this morning? We're here because this Word can create life in the life of the hearers. I can't, but God's word can. And Peter knows this. God's word brings about life. God's word sustains life. Remember Colossians, you know, and the book of Hebrews that he sustains all things by the word of his power. Think about that right now, that your heartbeat is upheld because God said so. You're breathing right now because God said so. All things are held together by his word. Just think of that. Just that, that reality that if, that if we cease to exist, God goes on. If God ceases to exist, nothing exists. <laughs> he sustains everything by his powerful word. The word of God has an ability to renew and create and sustain life. And this word of God doesn't just bring forth life once at conversion, like new birth, like Peter is saying. He's going to now go on to this reality that it is, is living, but it's also enduring. It not only brings forth life initially, but it continues to work in us and convict us and exhort us and remind us of the glory of the gospel, and it will forever. This word of God will endure and continue to produce fruit within us. Paul says the word, he says in 1 Thessalonians, the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. So, 
Peter is saying that this word brought about new birth, and now he's going to lead into this reality that the word of God continues to bring about fruit in our lives as we long for it, as we meditate on it. He's going to show the enduring nature of Scripture, the Word of God. He actually quotes an Old Testament passage where God's enduring Word and man's fading glory are contrasted, and that's where we're going to pick up. So at the end of verse 23, you see it there, the living and enduring Word of God, which prompts Peter to think of an Old Testament passage that makes this really clear. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is taken from Isaiah 40. Be helpful just to turn there. Isaiah 40. Very famous passage. marks some sort of transition in the book of Isaiah. Knowing the time frame is a little tricky here because some would say that this is preaching, this is Isaiah preaching prophetically or somehow to those who are in exile in Babylon. And it's interesting that Peter picks this up because you know Peter's main theme is that we are exiles, strangers. And what does God want His people to know? Well, as God, want, God wants His people to know that His stance toward them is one of comfort. Verse 1, comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God. Man, that is not Satan's song sheet for us, is it? But that is God's. You know, every letter in the New Testament that Paul writes, I think just about, maybe except for Galatians, is grace and peace. This is God's disposition to you. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. And speak kindly to Jerusalem. And why should we take comfort? Why? What, what, what can bring you comfort? Is the fact that, well, God is going to prosper you and give you lots of money that you can have a sense of security? Is it that you can have sustained health? Is it that you can have this picturesque Family like you think? No. It's that her warfare has ended. That her iniquity has been removed. You know, at the end of the day, Christians are the ones who always have reason to find comfort. Eternal comfort. Right? Because this iniquity of ours has been removed. Think of that. That iniquity that would land you in eternal punishment has been taken away, being born by the eternal Son Himself. And we can find comfort in that, to say the least. And He says, tell her that she has received the Lord's hand double for our, her, all her sins. She owed me 10000 I gave her 20000 Not only forgave her, I made her righteous in my sight. And now He enters into this, this, these voices Verse 3, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. 
For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You remember John the Baptist takes this up as his ministry of making smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And by that he means that he preaches that people must repent. (laughs) That's the obstacle between you and God is repentance. And he says, make it smooth, repent. And that's his message. And it's really every message. It's really the message of every prophet, of every preacher, of every Christian, isn't it? We still go around telling people, make God's way smooth for you and repent. Verse 6, though, says, a voice calls, says, call out. And there's this other one who says, what shall I call out? So it's this voice, and seemingly, as it were, saying to the prophet, I want you to call out a message. And the prophet says, well, what shall I call out? And here's the message. The message is, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. So, Peter reaches back in here in Isaiah chapter 40 and brings it forward with this reality of contrasting the transient, brief, fragile nature of man and his glory with the enduring, living Word of God. So the context here is Isaiah commissioned to preach the Word to Jerusalem and Judah. He's told to preach against the fading, transient nature of men. He says, what shall I call out? Well, you call out all flesh is grass. You bring the world to account with the reality that they're temporary, that they're fading, that they're frail, they're brief. Man withers away and is forgotten. You must tell men this. You wouldn't think you'd have to tell them, but why do you have to tell them? It's because they don't believe that. They live like they're going to live forever. Isaiah says, remind them of death. Remind them of the reality that they will have a tombstone one day. In Psalm 90, Moses says something very similar here. Saying to the Lord, Lord, you turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. And what does he attribute this to? Well, he says it here. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. See, death is it's a, a signal of the wrath of God, isn't it? That's what it is. It's not some natural phenomenon, right? The world is trying to get you to think it's just natural, you know, be happy. Celebrate life. The reality is death is an intruder, but it's an intruder that we brought about through our sin, and God is just in his judgment in it. The psalmist can't think about death without thinking about the anger of God, and he says, you have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. 
What a statement. Not with a jubilant exaltation and triumph, but that's man. Anticlimactic. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So what do we do? Most of you know what he says next. Teach us to number our days. It's very important that you know that you have a tombstone too. Everybody does. And it's important to number those days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. See, at the end of the day, death is the great elephant in the room in this world. And people strive not to think of it. I think they'll live forever, but they won't. They think all the labor in their lives, all this hard work, all these accomplishments are going to get them somewhere, that they mean something. And if done apart from God and faith in Jesus Christ, they, they end like a sigh. What does it do for them? Maybe some bragging rights? <laughs> Maybe some earthly luxuries? But it ends like a sigh. They too return to dust. And so what does the psalmist say? He says, teach us to number our days. Remember, life is short. This will ensure you live wisely and not foolishly. (laughs) It's good to think about death. It's good to think about these things so that you live wisely. If we do this, we'll live with God's priorities in view. We will know that only what is done for Jesus will last. Only what is done in faith for him will last. Seeking the kingdom first while we have breath is wise. This is not the life of permanence, is it? Abraham dwelt in tents. Right? While Sodom, while Lot sort of set up shop. Abraham does that because he knows that he seeks another city. We are exiles, Peter says. We are strangers. We're search and rescue. Dropping in to bring people to that world that will never end. Telling this world that Jesus died and rose again, defeating death, so that if one who believes in Jesus, they will live and not die. This is the way of wisdom. Isn't that the way of wisdom? Doesn't that make sense? Let's tell people how to live forever. This is why Christians can have joy at all times, right? Because for us, death is a mere blip. on the timeline of our whole existence. For us, the best is yet to come. And certainly, all we do in our jobs, families, in the church, and faith, is all wisdom when done for God's glory, for the good of others. This is wisdom, but living like this life is permanent is folly. Building bigger barns rather than investing in eternity is folly. All flesh is grass. Think of, think of this, is, this is quite a sweeping statement. Think of this, though. All flesh is grass. It just it withers away. 
Think of the empires that have come and gone. Obviously, one thinks of the Roman Empire, at one time thought to be impenetrable, gone. But have you ever thought about the Mongolian Empire? When's the last time you did? Was it this week you thought of the Mongolian Empire? Probably not. 13th century, to date, the Mongol Empire was the largest contiguous empire in history, spanning from the Pacific all the way to the Mediterranean. You know, it's interesting, some historians believe that it dissolved because of an identity crisis. Are we going to stay nomads? Are we going to become cosmopolitan? Who are we? (laughs) All flesh is grass. They don't really know who they are. They know they, they, they lust for power, and yet at the end of the day, they can't hold it together because it's not built upon the enduring word of God. So they disappeared, and no one even remembers them. They wither away, fading into the background. What about America? All flesh is grass. All nations are grass. Arguably the most glorious nation that has ever existed in terms of freedom and prosperity. Will it endure forever? No, it won't. Our country one day will be gone. If the Lord tarries another thousand years, it will be forgotten like the Mongols. Isaiah says, preach that. (laughs) Preach that. Preach that it's all passing away. Preach that we do have a, we do have a, a message of eternity. So is our goal, is your goal, to perpetuate a nation that is grass or to perpetuate the word that endures forever? Certainly not that we don't appreciate what God has done in America for freedom, for tranquility, to live godly lives. And we pray that he will continue but we must promote that which endures forever. These nations are nothing compared to the enduring word of God. All flesh is grass. And Isaiah says, not only do we preach that all flesh is grass, but that, the, that man's glory is like the flower of grass whose flower falls off. And it's similar to the same idea that we just talked about, but Here he's he's specifically talking about these attainments and achievements, the glory of man. It's like the flower of grass, the pretty part of grass. What happens to it? Falls off. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, boom, falls off. That's the glory of man. Oh man, but the world does not treat its glory like a flower that falls off, (laughs) does it? I mean, they will sink their whole world into getting on the podium for five minutes, won't they? What is that? That's a fading flower. Winning gold, silver, bronze, and then after that, what? Again, bragging rights? It looks amazing. It looks amazing. Man, the media makes it look like glory. 
doesn't it? But it's man's glory. Every now and then you'll hear someone give glory to God. But in a week, this glory withers away. It gets put on a shelf. The Olympics are on right now. I think they're still on, are they? I'm not sure. Certainly not saying all Olympic athletes are unbelievers in vain. Probably most of them are. Why do I say that? Well, because most of the world is. Jesus said so. Few are on the narrow road. But I read an article about an Olympic swimmer named Michael Andrew. You guys heard of him? Michael Andrew? Interesting guy. Don't know much about him, but I liked his quote. They were interviewing him about, I can't remember if it was, uh, if he was going to swim the 200 IM or what, but he's a very good swimmer, considered a favorite in some of the, the races, and he was asked about what his sentiments were about being in the Olympics, and he said, this outcome is today, where we are now, and it is amazing, but it is perishable. And I think I can stand up on the blocks today and tomorrow and the rest of my life with a lot of freedom knowing that it doesn't increase my worth or value to my friends, relationships, my family, and Jesus Christ. That kind of sentiment perhaps is insulting to all the rest of them, but that's exactly the sentiment to have, isn't it? It's like, if I win today, it's going to be great, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. It's perishable. That's a great quote. But one of the most terrifying moments that I've heard a man can experience is gaining the goal he's always lived for and realizing once he's achieved it, it doesn't fulfill him. That's scary stuff. If, if you don't know God, that's scary. What do you do? If you achieve this pinnacle of your existence and then nothing. You know, at that point, unless this person can fill the void with another futile pursuit, he'll be left only to panic. And this is why the opioids and alcoholism and drugs and surgeries and all manner of things exist because people clamor for fulfillment. Because all the glory of man is like a fading flower. It's like it's there and it's gone. Think of all the Oscars, the Emmys, whatever all these other awards that people get. They pass away with the next news cycle. Think of all the intellectual glories of men as they speculate about existence and reality. And their claim to fame is this newfangled idea about why we're here, or what life is all about, or how to fix society. Isaiah says they're flower of grass. Any ideology that doesn't have as central the scriptures and the gospel is a fading flower. It won't last. It doesn't work. It doesn't fix the human condition. It's as stable and strong as the flower who passes away after a few months or whose petals break in a gust of wind. Think of all man's ideas. Big bang. You know. That's how it all happened. People latch onto it. There's some intellectual fortification of the origin of the universe. 
People who think that intelligence and, and design came from nothing in chance. This idea will fade away. It's hard to believe it's latched on as long as it has, <laughs> but it has. Or maybe it was aliens, you know. This is my, this is some people's grand idea, Richard Dawkins and others. Maybe it was aliens. Or how about all the variety in the world, all the variety of life? Well, maybe it's evolution. Maybe we all came from a single organism. Or how about fixing society? What about com- communism or socialism or social justice or any utopian ideology? How about feminism, liberalism? How about even conservatism? How stable, how stalwart are these ideas? Well, even conservatism has some things right, right? We feel like in some ways it's a, it's a good philosophy of human flourishing, but at the end of the day, it will fade if it's not linked and tethered to, fueled by the Word of God. Conservatism is good because it just highlights human responsibility at the end of the day, but that's what the Scriptures do, so that's why it has some staying power. But outside of that, you look at certain people who spouse it and they're not Christians and you feel for them. I'm sad for them. Because ultimately their life is still tethered to these ideas that are not linked to the enduring word of God. This fad or that fad or this movement or that revolution, all their supposed glory will pass away, be found as fading realities, no lasting impact for eternity, only the word of God endures forever. Only God's news of the gospel endures forever. It's the only remedy for the human conditions, the only means for true reconciliation between God and men. It's the only way to make sense of life in this world, to understand where you come from or where you're going. It's only the gospel that can fix marriages, find freedom from addictions, work out our disputes, to change cultures for the good. It's the gospel. But sadly, you know, the gospel is foolishness to this transient world of grass isn't it? But to the one who believes, it's the power of God. So all flesh is grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. But, P- but Peter, Isaiah say, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's think a little further about this. And turn back to 1 Peter. Those are just some thoughts I had about Isaiah's statements. When I think of the fact that it's God's word that endures forever, which is what he says in verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever, two things pop into my mind. Number one is the ongoing relevance of the word. The ongoing relevance of the word of God. Relevant in every age, in every era, in every season. And also it's unassailability. That is, it is absolutely invincible. The word of the Lord. So when I say that it's, on, it's relevant in an ongoing way, I mean the word of God addresses any opposing ideologies that the world throws at it. And it addresses every aspect of your life to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's always relevant. Now we're going to talk about whether or not you believe that. The way you, the way you live day to day in, in your regard of the word 
and you're, you're bringing the word into your life to navigate your life and its issues is going to determine whether or not you believe this word really is enduring. So here I'm not talking about the gospel proper that is true, but I'm talking about the whole word of God and all its intricacies, beginning with creation and on. One example I thought about with, in, in terms of God's ongoing relevance uh, is when I was studying through Genesis, and when you're in Genesis chapter 1, you can't help but descend into the discussions on evolution and those kinds of things, creation versus evolution. And obviously one of the things about evolution is that it teaches that uh, really there's one species. They might say there's lots of different species, but really there's one, right? It all comes from a single cell organism, and we all come from that. For them to say there are different species is, you know, somewhat contradictory. What does the scripture say? The scriptures say that there are kinds, doesn't it? It uses that term kinds, and that God brings about different kinds of fruit trees, different kinds of animals. There's the dog kind, there's the cat kind, there's the citrus kind of tree, there's the nut tree, there's all these different kinds, right? And these kinds have circles around them, boundaries around them that they can't reproduce with one another. They're kinds, they're, they're locked in. It's just amazing, but that one little word just showed me so much about how God's word immediately addresses and obliterates evolution. Just that one word completely obliterates the premises of evolution. Because God says that I stamp things with a certain pattern and there's no overlap, ultimately. We are not animals. I hope you all know that. <laughs> It's amazing how many Christians I talk to and they still believe that we still are mammals. We are still animals. We are not animals. We are the image of God. We are human beings created in his image. That's what scripture tells us. And God creates us according to his likeness. And he creates animals according to their kinds. Right? Birds and fish can't mate. Rhinos and elephants, right? Strawberries and pecan trees. These things, they, don't, they, they are according to their kind. And this just one word, this one concept obliterates one of the most potent arguments for existence and reality that we have in our culture. That's what I mean. The word of God is utterly relevant. You don't need to go to some apologetic. All you have to do is read Genesis 1 and you completely destroy evolution. What about current invasion of critical race theory. People are sick of hearing about it, I'm sure, but you know, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about it too, but, but I bring it up because it's alive and well. I think, I think I thought maybe four or five months ago that it just sort of dissipated and it would just all sort of all go away, especially in the church, but it hasn't gone away. Um, people don't like to take on the label anymore, but they still espouse the ideas left and right. And so you got to bring it up because um, we have to destroy speculations and things that are raised up against the knowledge of God. What does the Word of God say about that? Well, critical race theory teaches that we must repent for our ancestors' sins, even if we ourselves haven't committed those sins. Right? What does the, on, what does the enduring Word of God say? It says, the soul who sins shall die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. That's just one passage. But my point is, 
The scriptures are relevant at every phase for every argument, for every ideology, for every issue that you have. It will speak to it, bring you clarity, and give you God's perspective. It will never be out of date or out of touch or archaic or, hey, we've progressed beyond it. It just won't. That is just, it's not true. It endures forever. So the question is, do you see it this way? This is what Peter's bringing to you to think of. Do I see the word of God this way? Do I see it as enduring in my life? Think about all the struggles you face. Relationships, doubts, conflicts at work, marriage. Do you believe that God's word endures forever? Do you believe that it is ongoingly relevant in your life? What we're talking about really at the end of the day is the sufficiency of scripture. That's what the fact that God's word endures means. It means that it's sufficient all the time for every and for, for everything that we will ever need to live faithful to him. So many people say, so many people say, the word of God is my, is my source of truth. And yet, they live lives like God has nothing to say to their predicament. Think of that. If there's anything I want to communicate to you this morning, it's that. So many people say, all people in this room I know say, the word of God is my source of truth. And do, and you live like he has nothing to say for your circumstance. And this is why you're complaining. This is why you gossip. This is why you're depressed. This is why you're isolated. This is why you have no joy. It's because you let his word, you've put it behind your back. You don't realize it endures forever, brethren. God's word is a living word, and it's a word that speaks to us wherever we are. It may not spell out your exact situation in narrative form, although it might. <laughs> it could. I was just reading about Udia and Syntyche the other day. You know, help these ladies to live in harmony in the Lord. There's Paul's admonition. You know, oh, there's conflict between these two women. What are we to do? Paul says, help them along to live in harmony. But the word of God will spell out the attitudes and actions we must have in all conflict and all struggle. So it doesn't necessarily need, it doesn't need to give examples of exact case studies. It simply mentions verses like Peter does, you know, fervently love one another from the heart. And if you do this, you'll, you'll, you'll uh, cover a multitude of sins. It doesn't need to, get to go into all the different sin scenarios. And we need to be wise, and there are certain instances, and not all sins are the same. And yet Peter can still say, if you have fervent love, you'll do well. You'll be a healthy church. And you'll move past sins that are inevitable in the body of Christ. Just with one word, he says that. Peter, how can you say that? Well, number one, it's because God says it. But number two, it's because we're born again. We have the Spirit of God and we can overcome these things. Peter says things like, put aside malice, put aside slander. These kinds of things, if we put these things aside, we'll do well. These attitudes are relevant for every situation. To put them away. Put on love. 
So those, those are just some thoughts about how the Word of God is, in a, is relevant in an ongoing way. It's sufficient. But it's also invincible. It's also unassailable. I think of the fact that no discovery, no scientific discovery, no archaeological discovery, no idea, ideology will ever prove God's Word to be untrue. You can trust it because it's rooted in His character and He cannot lie. One of the best lines of Pilgrim's Progress. When he's talking about this book. How do you know these things are true? Pliable said. Oh, because it is written by him who cannot lie. Brethren, he can't lie. Does he tell you to submit to your husband? Well, he knows that's best because he cannot lie. Does he tell you to love your wife? Well, he, he's not lying about that. Does he tell you to not exasperate your children? Well, he's not lying about that. This is what's best. Does he tell you to preach the gospel to all nations? Yeah, this, <laughs> he's not lying. This is what you should do. Does it tell you that all who come to him, he'll in no wise cast away if you're doubting and you're discouraged? Well, he's not lying. If you come to him, he won't cast you away. He can't lie. Think of that. Think of what treasure we have in the scriptures. The world doesn't have this. You know, we, we marvel at people like Aristotle and Plato and Shakespeare because they get some things right, but at the end of the day, it's been in here all along. <laughs> it's all here. Endures forever. Proverbs 30, verse 9, every word of God is tested. Every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be found a liar. Think of that. Why would you want to add to his word? Well, you don't think it's sufficient. I've, I've read as far as I can. This, there's got to be something else. Do not add to his words lest he reprove you and you be found a liar. We think it won't shield us from conflict. We think his word won't shield us from circumstances that are difficult. What it does shield us from, though, ultimately is unfaithfulness to Christ. That's what it shields us from. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Talking about his word, that's what he's talking about. That shelter, that shield that you have is God's word and it protects you from unfaithfulness to Christ. That's what, that's what he's saying. And if you go beyond it, you'll be found a liar. It'll shield us from the enemies and the, uh, and the darts of Satan. Because it's true. And we can trust that it has been tested and found unassailable. Lord, how can you say such a thing. How can you say that, that the soul that sins shall die? How can, you, how can you say that if you eat of it, you will surely die eternally so? Do you really mean that? Yeah, God really means that. Remembering the fact that God is, is not a liar is so vital for your prayer life. Because you take these promises of God that he gives to you in context <laughs> and go to God with him and you realize that when you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone because God can't lie. And he's a good God. 
So whatever the Bible speaks on, whether it's the character of God, whether it's human history, it's unassailable. I mean, how many secular historians, I wish I could have come up with some quotes. I saw so many quotes on this, I, I, I almost got overwhelmed, and then I didn't write any of them down. So anyway, there's a lot out there, even of secular historians, that, uh, who, who cannot argue with the fact that the Bible has come up time and time again on the right side of human history as it pertains to scientific discoveries or historical archaeology, on and on. Whatever it speaks on, it is unassailable. And this is why when doubts come to you, as they will, the word of God should be the place you run to. As you read the scriptures, you come face to face with enduring truth that will calm your minds and your hearts from your doubts. And if it doesn't the first time, just keep it before you. It'll renew your mind and give you peace over time. I can, I can testify to this. I'm sure many of you can too. question is, do you believe that? So how often do you read your scriptures? How often do you read them? How often are you in them? How often are you meditating on them? You know, where Peter is going is this reality that the word of God is something that God used to bring you to life, but it's also something that is used to sustain your life. And he goes on to say that you long for the pure milk of the word, and then when you do, you grow. That's where he's headed. You grow. And again, remember that this is all springing from Peter's exhortation for us to love one another. So the word of God brings this new birth which changes our nature so that we love God and neighbor now and continually minding the word of God, the enduring word of God will perpetuate and fan into flame our love for one another. See, Peter doesn't just want us to be people who know a lot of things. As, as we know the scriptures, it's going to make us people that are more full of God's life. Isn't that what Peter says in 2 Peter? That by these precious and magnificent promises... He gives you everything you need for life and godliness. See how that works together? This is why Peter's about to open up with his next section. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. And I'm not going to get into that right now. I want to just stop there and let us think about these things. The word of God endures forever. It's sufficient for everything. Do you believe it? How do you regard it every day? And, you know, I've been encouraging some people lately to just, again, sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking if we open it, it's magic if it's before us. Okay? Now, sometimes when you read it, like Bunyan says, it's as dry as a stick. Right? Sometimes that happens. However, let me encourage you to read it and understand it. Understand what you are reading. And if you don't figure it out, that's actually what meditation is in some ways. It's figuring out what you're reading, figuring out what God means. Remember what Paul says, consider what I say in everything and God will give you understanding. But you've got to consider it. You've got to, you've got to bring your mind to this place of focus to get it in front of you. And as you do, you'll be warmed, you'll be realigned, you'll be recalibrated, you'll be renewed. You'll have God's perspective again in your life. And then you'll be able to live out of that. But if you put it aside, you will live complaining, malicious, 
envious lives. You will. It's interesting how Peter connects love with the word. So if people aren't, if the saints aren't loving one another, Peter can think, hmm, wonder how their life is in the scriptures. It's all connected, isn't it? It's all connected. So again, we'll look at that a little bit more, but but just my exhortation to you this morning, brethren, is the word of the Lord endures forever. And the beauty is the gospel endures forever. The truth of the gospel endures forever. Again, talking about God, he doesn't lie. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. (laughs) If you turn from your sin and cast yourself on Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. That is a promise made by the God who cannot lie. Have you done that this morning? Maybe one of you kids who was in VBS this week, maybe you may be even thinking about that. Let's pray the Lord does, does that in, in, in your life. Let's pray the Lord does that in, in anybody's life in here who doesn't know him. And let's pray that we will remember that day in, day out. That God is not a liar. You're, you're going to bring before your eyes the words of a God who cannot lie. It's amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your enduring word. We know that men are flesh, and flesh is like grass, all of it, all nations, all ideas, all glory, all vain glory. It all fades away, it all passes away. But we know that your word is relevant and sufficient in every season, in every era, and we know that it is invincible, it's unassailable, nothing can ever destroy it or make it found to be false. Lord, what an amazing word we have. Help us to be people of the book, Lord, so that we have our minds renewed and love you more and love our neighbors more and and love this world that's lost in sin and needs the gospel more. And Lord, we pray for anyone in here, children, adult alike. Lord, if this new birth has not come home to them, Lord, that it would this morning. They would look to the Lord Jesus Christ, lifted up on a cross, and see their, their only hope, but a sufficient hope. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.